We'll hear argument next in case 10-8505, Williams versus Illinois. Mr. Carroll. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In this case, Sandra Lombatos testified that Mr. Williams' DNA matched a DNA profile that, according to assertions made by analysts from Cellmark Labs, was the genetic description of the purported offender. Because no one from Cellmark appeared at Mr. Williams' trial, Lombato's testimony conveying the testimonial statements um, from Cellmark violated Mr. Williams' rights under the Confrontation Clause. Um, For these reasons, the Illinois Supreme Court's decision should be reversed. Ms. Williams, or Ms. Lombato's testimony on direct examination clearly conveyed Selmark's statements. She testified that the vaginal swab and blood sample from the victim were sent from to Selmark for DNA analysis. She later was asked, was there a computer match generated from the male DNA profile found in the semen from the vaginal swabs of the victim and the male DNA profile that had been identified as having originated from Mr. Williams. Counsel, it hasn't been the focus of the briefing, but you've just made it the focus here. I know that you've been claiming that her statements about what constituted the Selmark um, lab results are a statement that violates the Confrontation Clause. But are you taking the position that her statements and the admission of the documents um, mailing the lab sample to the laboratory and them getting it back, that all of those business records were improperly admitted? Um, Because she testified that in her records, she sees that her lab, um, and she says, I think those records were produced. I could be wrong. That the shipping records were produced. They were produced and admitted into evidence that the lab sample taken from the victim, LJ, was mailed to the laboratory and that it came back. Are you taking the position that those shipping documents were uh, not business records? Are you taking the position that those were improperly admitted? No, Your Honor, at this stage we are not um, challenging the admission of the shipping records. Well, that would just show that the uh, material went to and came back from the lab. It wouldn't show what the lab results were. It was the results that she testified to, right? That's correct, Your Honor. And what other evidence was there of the results besides her testimony? Uh, There was no other other evidence. In the case of the blood that was tested in the police lab, there, the person who was tested did uh, testify at the trial, right? It wasn't just uh, Labrador's, but the one who attested the blood? The, the, pers- the person who testified or who analyzed Mr. Williams' blood did testify live. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Abinati testified um, that she did the blood test and it went into the state d- database with reference to the other crime, not this crime. Am I correct? Yeah, uh, yes, Your Honor. The, um, when he was arrested for an unrelated matter. Uh, right. But she's an expert. She testified how she did the test and what the D, and that she put the DNA uh, result into, into the databank. That's correct, Your Honor. No. Hasn't it long been accepted that experts may testify to the facts that form the basis for their opinions? on the ground that when the experts go over those facts, they are not uh, — th- that information is not being introduced to prove the truth of the matter asserted, that, that the truth of those underlying facts, only that those are the facts that the expert has relied on in reaching an opinion. Uh, is, and that has not been considered to be hearsay. Now, do you argue that those that, — that that's incorrect? Those, state, those statements cannot be uh, testified to as an, by an expert uh, without their, their constituting either hearsay or testimony within the meaning of the Confrontation Clause? 
In this case, where the where the um, the basis evidence the expert testifies to, um, where it's the expert's opinion depends on that those statements being considered true. In those instances, then yes, we are arguing that the confrontation clause does not allow. Well, let's say that. Let, let me put it this way. Let's say the expert people from the the expert testifies. Um, I. Uh, received that I looked at the the report from from the lab. I looked at the report from from I looked at the report from Cellmark, the outside lab. I looked at the report that we did, uh, and uh, there there is a match. And uh, so the expert is test is mentioning facts that uh, form the basis of the opinion, but not testifying to the truth of those. Is that a violation of the confrontation clause? At that point, if the the expert is not, you know, asserting that the statements are true, um, then no. However, that's not what happened in this case, Your Honor. Ms. Lombard has well, it would be utterly irrelevant, would it not, if the statements were not true? I mean, it's one thing for an expert to testify about a hypothetical, you know, assuming this, 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 Mr. Expert, uh, what would the result be? Well, on those assumptions, it would be this. But this was not, uh, nobody asked, uh, asked her to assume those things at all. She testified that that she had a match between what she had done and what had been uh, done on the on the DNA of this individual by somebody else. That That's seems correct. to me quite different from the from the ordinary hypothetical put to an expert. Yeah, I would have thought yes, you sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to. You were going to agree with that. And, yes, and, I, uh, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I, I'm sure you've looked at this probably. But the most, one of the more interesting things I found in these briefs were the references to Wigmore. So I went back and read what Wigmore said about scientific evidence, expert evidence, and business records. And he certainly concedes and agrees with Justice Scalia. And those opinions are filled with hearsay. I mean, there's no expert who isn't relying on what his teachers told him in college which reflects dozens of out-of-court statements given to dozens of people who wrote them up in books. So expert opinion is always based on hearsay, almost, and, ex- and so are business records. They're filled with hearsay. But Wigmore writes a treatise, doesn't he, where he says exceptions have been recognized since the 17th century or earlier to cover that kind of material. So my question for you is why shouldn't we recognize a similar related kind of exception here? We're trying to discover the meaning of testimonial. The difference here is a police lab or a lab that reports to a police lab, the individuals there probably know that there is a fairly good chance that what they say will be used in a criminal trial. They don't know it for sure, but they're controlled by the canons, by accreditation, by tests of reliability, by the fact that they're not normally interested in the results of a trial, as here they couldn't care less, they don't even care if it is used in a trial. And all the Wigmore factors, for both exceptions, could support a similar exception here, which would have the following virtue. It would have the virtue of not requiring ten people to come in and testify whom the defense is, of course, free to call. And it would also have the virtue of removing the temptation for prosecutors to stop relying on the more reliable evidence, DNA, and instead encourage them to rely on the less reliable evidence, namely the eyewitness testimony in a case. Now, that that really is all my questions in one. Because I understand every argument you're making as fitting it in with hearsay. I agree with that. And I also agree to a degree with the testimonial point. And I see the need for an exception. And Wigmore provides all the reasons. And since we're interpreting that word testimonial, don't we have the power? And why shouldn't we create one out of the word testimonial? Well, Your Honor, because the Confrontation Clause guarantees the defendant the right to confront and cross-examine the witnesses against him. And that's the reason why this Court should not make an well, I'll go You're further. You're objecting to hearsay, are you, counsel? You're objecting to a violation of the Confrontation Clause. 
That's which right. is quite different from what uh, Mr. Wigmore was writing about, which was hearsay. Yeah, but Wigmore actually believed that the Confrontation Clause simply encapsulated the hearsay rule. We've That's said the you. contrary, though, haven't yeah, we? Right. I, I'm asking you the question, and, I, and I, I'll go further in your direction. I'll go further. Because I would say, what about saying this? That not only do we recognize the exception, but it isn't a full exception. That if the defendant can show some reason to believe that either the laboratory is not properly accredited, it isn't doing things properly, or that the individual technician has something personal or knows about, about the defendant that sus- makes it suspect, immediately the presumption that the exception applies disappears and the prosecutor has to call the, uh, the witness. You can say, well, we shouldn't make that up, but I believe if you go back to the 18th century, you'll discover that your interpretation of the Confrontation Clause was not there. So, so that's what's basing my question, and I'd like your reaction. It's a long question, considers an exception, and I'd like you to give me your reaction to that. Well, Your Honor, I think that this Court's decisions in Crawford and Melendez-Diaz and Bullcoming largely foreclose on making such an exception. The, um, Justice the Breyer dissented from those opinions. <laughs> he did, but I'm Justice Breyer. And I mean it because I see extending those cases from one individual from a laboratory being familiar with the results to requiring in ordinary cases the calling of what could be up to 10 technicians. I see that as making a sea change in normal criminal law practices, and my motive is, as I said, I fear it will push the system in the direction of relying on less reliable eyewitness testimony rather than more reliable uh, technical laboratory DNA-type evidence. Now, you have my — I've made the point, and I really want to get your response. Are we talking about ten witnesses? I thought we were talking about just one witness. From Selma. Yeah, on this record, Your Honor, the, the statements that were produced were the statements of the authors of the report. So That's one person, not ten. ten. I believe there are two signatories to the report. Well, ten is, in high, ten is not a, a far-fetched hypothetical. We have an amicus brief from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the New York City Chief Medical Examiner's Office, and they say that their very fine crime lab, crime lab uh, involves at least 12 technicians in the analysis of DNA. They break it down that way because it increases accuracy. It decreases the chance of uh, any uh, favoritism for the prosecution, and they say that if it is impossible for us to bring all 12 of those technicians into court to testify in every case in which there is DNA evidence. And if we have to do that, we will just not be able to use DNA evidence in court. We will have to rely on less reliable evidence. Is that just a — you think that's just a practical uh, consequence that we have to accept under Crawford? No, Your Honor, because even in the worst-case scenario um, described in the New York County's brief, not all 12 people in that situation make testimonial statements, and not all 12 people's testimonial statements are presented at trial. And the confrontation, to, for the confrontation clause to be satisfied, it is only those witnesses who the prosecution chooses to present at trial. It's up to the prosecutor which of those 12 he wants to bring in, whether he wants to bring in all 12 or just one. If he thinks the jury will be sufficiently persuaded by bringing in just one, he can bring in just one, right? Yes, correct. But he has to bring in in the one and not not hearsay about what the one would say. How will bringing in one satisfy the Confrontation Clause problem? If if 12 people uh, perform steps in the analysis and one person testifies about what 11 other people did, don't you have the same Confrontation Clause problem? No, Your Honor. Again, it's whose test. don't? No, we don't, because the question is whose statement is being presented. Now, given the, the five steps in the brief, the electrophoresis step, the person who does the DNA typing, 
and determines what alleles are present in the sample. That person probably has to testify because that's really what the results are, what alleles are present. Amplification step, person who, you know, copies the DNA and tags it, I don't think that's a, a testimonial statement. And in this case, no uh, statements from someone who did that was presented. Next step, quantization. Why is that not a testimonial statement? Well, just performing a, a test is not a testimonial statement. Um, and just stating. If the, if the person were in court, the person would say, this is what I did. If the person was co in and that's court. that's testimony? In that case, it would be uh, testimony. However, that person doesn't have to testify in order for the state to present its evidence. If the state chooses to present that person's testimonial statement at trial, then yes, the Confrontation Clause would require them to present that testimony live. Mr. However, Mr. Farrell, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out this out, and uh, I'm, um, here's my question. Suppose you had two witnesses, one from uh, one who had done the lab analysis on Mr. Williams and one who had done the lab analysis from the victim. And they both testify. And now an expert comes in, and the expert says, I've looked at both reports, and there's a match. Now, there would be no problem at all with that. Is that right? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. So now we only have one of the lab technicians, and we take away the other lab technician. And what you're saying is, well, now we have this expert, and he, she's saying she can do a match, but the question is, a match of what? That's the question, right? That's correct, Your Honor. So wh why is that a confrontation clause issue? Why isn't it just that the prosecutor has failed to prove an element of his case? It's a confrontation clause issue because the prosecution presented the statements of the person who did the analysis on the victim's vaginal. Well, is that right? I mean, I thought that the judge here said, no, I'm not taking this for the truth of the matter asserted. I'm only taking your statements about the lab tests as an indication, as, 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 as uh, the basis for your opinion. So I'm listening to your opinion. The problem is, in this whole case, there's been no factual testimony about what the results were from, from the, the swab on the victim. Isn't that right? No. Or am I missing something? You are missing something, Your Honor. And the trial judge in this case never stated he was not considering the evidence for its truth. No place in the record does the, uh, the trial judge state that. Um, and in fact, in his finding his facts, he states he was convinced of the, that there was a match because the evidence from the experts um, established that victim, that Williams' semen was found on the victim. And he notes that, well, Selmark was an accredited lab. If he wasn't considering Selmark's statement for the truth, he wouldn't care if they were accredited. Um, well, what did the Illinois Appellate Court say about that, about whether the information was, whether the evidence was admitted for the, the truth of the matter asserted? The Appellate Court held as, as a matter of Illinois law, these statements consider, statements that serve as the basis of an expert's opinion um, are generally deemed not to be admitted for the truth. However, in this case, there is no meaningful distinction between considering Selmark's statements to, um, to you know, in assisting evaluate the evaluation of Lombardo's testimony and considering it for the truth. If the statements weren't true, then Lombardo's testimony would not link Williams' DNA to the crime. Isn't ju but isn't uh, Justice Kagan's question there the correct question? Isn't that a question of Illinois evidence law, not a federal constitutional question? No, Your Honor. Was there sufficient was a sufficient foundation laid for the uh, the introduction of the uh, of the expert's testimony? No, Your Honor. That was, that was addressed by the, by the Illinois court. No, Your Honor. The, the question here isn't whether the state's evidence was sufficient. It's whether the evidence the state did present violated Mr. Williams' rights under the Confrontation Clause. 
Now, just, I can give an example or an analogy. Suppose a police officer were to testify, a witness gave me this photograph and told me this is a photograph of the, de- of the offender. I compared this photograph to a photograph of the defendant. I found that they matched. Now, the police officer, he compared the photographs. You know, we're not contesting Lombardo's match. But the statement that this is a photo of the offender, that's not the officer's statement. That's the statement of the witness who gave him that photo. But that's just because the photographing is something that people wouldn't dispute. I mean, what if the state presents testimony saying, I took the sample, I put it in the sample case, I sent it to Cellmark saying, give us a DNA analysis of this sample. We got back from Cellmark the analysis with the same name on it. And the expert testifies, I compared that to a DNA from the uh, defendant, and it was a match. You would be free in cross-examining to say, do you know what they did at Cellmark? And she would say, well, they're a DNA lab. We asked them to do a DNA analysis. But do you know what happened? No, I don't. Do you, as far as you know, do they just, did they just ignore it and not do anything? She said, well, yeah, I didn't, I'm not testifying to what happened at Cellmark. I'm just telling him we sent the DNA there and this is what we got back. What, why is that not perfectly fine? Because the, that person's testimony that the results we got back were connected to the samples we sent. They did not, she does not say that. She said we sent the sample Mark crime scene or whatever it was, we got back a data sheet that said crime scene. Well, count, uh, expert, do you know that they didn't mix them up? No, I don't. All I know is what we sent and what we got back. Your Honor, I still believe that would be a confrontation clause violation because the writing on the, the data sheet that said crime scene, a person at Selmark had to write that down on the data sheet. So someone from Selmark was making a representation that that data sheet was, is connected. And to all the witnesses, all the witnesses testifying to is what they sent and what they got back. And you're free to cross-examine about what went on at Selmark. And a jury is free to say, well, I believe the circumstantial evidence about what happened. Or defense counsel can say, why don't they have anybody here from Selmark? And a jury can say, well, yeah, that's a good point. It just seems to me that nobody from Selmark is testifying, and what you're, that's what you're objecting to, but they don't need that testimony to present uh, the expert's conclusion to the jury. Well, Your Honor, hypothetically, the State could, I believe the State could present its evidence through circumstantial evidence, but that's not what happened in this case. Lombardos did testify that she didn't simply state that I got a profile back. She testified, I got a profile that was the male DNA profile found in the semen from the vaginal swab. That's a statement from Selmark. That's not Lombardo's statement. And just to sh- and, she, and she goes further. She says, and based on that, which I believe to be true, she didn't say that, but this is the implication. Based on that, which I believe to be true, this belongs to Williams. This DNA is Williams's DNA. And if she weren't relying on the truth of the assertion from Selmark, it would be irrelevant for the jury. That's, Isn't that your point? That's correct, Your Honor. That's true whenever, whenever an expert, uh, an expert makes a, a statement. There is a conceptual difference between their testifying to something out of court for its truth and that being the basis for the expert opinion. In the one case, she's relying upon a statement in order to form her opinion, and in the other case, she's introducing the statement. And you're saying in this case, that's a distinction without a difference. Isn't that what's going that's on? That's correct. All right. But still, there is the conceptual difference. And as long as there is that conceptual difference, don't we have a basis for distinguishing this case from Melendez? I do not believe so, Your Honor. Had, um, had Selmark's statements been presented in the report itself, the report being uh, admitted itself, 
think there would be no question that that, was a, that would be a violation of the clause under Melendez-Diaz and Bullcoming. The fact that the same statements were coming in for the same evidentiary reason through the live testimony of Lombatos shouldn't change that situation. It's the same statements coming in for the same reason. You're saying that uh, the State of Illinois case is weaker here than in Melendez, where they had a certificate, and in Bullcoming, where they had somebody from the lab testify as to lab procedures. Here they have neither, and yet Illinois somehow says it comes in. That's right, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel. Ms. Alvarez? May it please the Court? Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court? Counsel, on your theory of this case, and, and, and I think you say, first, it's not a statement, and second, that if it is, it was not offered for the truth. Under your theory, if um, this lab technician had introduced Selmar's report, that would have been okay, because it wasn't offered for the truth. The Selmar report was not introduced as a I, I'm, I'm changing if she the had. facts. Under your theory, she could have introduced the lab report. If we offered uh, her uh, the Selmark report into evidence at, for the truth of the matter asserted, uh, it would be a different situation. I don't understand the difference, meaning the fact that you didn't physically introduce the report makes a difference? The uh, Ms. Lombardo's testified consistent with the Confrontation Clause here. She testified. She, she testified that she reviewed lab samples. As an expert. That matched the defendant. So what's the difference between that and saying, I have the report in my hand, I match that report with the Williams report, and this is my conclusion? She did not parrot uh, the, the Selmark report as we had seen in Bullcoming. She did not testify that Selmark said this was the defendant's profile, that Selmark said this was a match. She did. No, she said that this more. Selmark said this is LJ's. Vaginal swab DNA. Right. So but, she said that because the the vaginal swab that was taken from the victim and there was a there was a chain of custody here and, and proper foundation that was laid. The vaginal swab that was taken from the victim and this this bore out through the business records that came in on the shipping manifest. So what's that, the difference this, between this and Justice Kennedy's question about bull coming? Could the expert in Bullcoming have said, as one of the amici here said, that all they would have had to do in Bullcoming is to read or to give a report that gave the blood alcohol content the 0.5 or 0.10 or whatever it was, and have an expert come in and say that number shows he's drunk? Well, is that the, any different than this situation? If the expert in Bullcoming did more than what he simply did in Bullcoming, and that was just simply read the report and, and testify that that's what that lab did. If he actually did his own independent analysis based on his expertise, based on no, his No, no, the only part of his expertise is the report says 0.10. I'm not offering it for the truth. I'm assuming if that's true, then he was legally drunk. If he, were, if he were to give his independent opinion based on his analysis and what he had done, then we would have seen a situation He's done nothing. Close, he, all the report did was give a number. And the supervisor comes in and says that number violates his legal drunkenness. Well, if How that, is that different? If that, if that report is being used, is being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. All right, but you're not telling me why that's not the same here, because he — what this expert said is the Selmark report is from this victim. So it's the same set of numbers as in Bullcoming. Now he's taking a step and saying, instead of legal drug drunkness, it matches someone else's that I took. But, no, what happened here was Ms. Lombardo's testified uh, based a, and gave her own independent expert opinion based on her skills, her knowledge, her expertise. You, you said she in, independent, and I don't understand. You said that in your brief. I don't understand how uh, Lombardo's testimony can be 
independent of the test results supplied. I mean, it's based on the, the <coughs> test results. It can't be independent of, of them because it's entirely dependent on them. But an expert can always testify about the material that they relied on, whether that material is ever admitted into evidence, and sometimes that material could never be uh, admitted into evidence. But she, in fact, uh, testified to what she relied on in addition to No, but she didn't just she say, I relied on stuff that I received from, uh, from Caremark, whatever the, the, the name of the lab was. She said, I, re- I relied on material that was a swab containing the DNA, uh, the, 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 the sperm of this particular individual. And she did not know that. She testified it, that she relied on those materials, and she can't She testify. didn't just say, I got something back from the lab, and I relied on whatever that said. No, she, she said what she had gotten back from the lab. And she did not know of her personal knowledge that it was what she said it was. She knew from the, uh, the procedures of the chain of custody in the shipping manifest that what was sent initially to Cellmark after preliminary tests were done at, at the Illinois State Police Crime Lab showing the presence of sperm, that it was sent to Cellmark and it was analyzed at Cellmark and came back. No, if they had incompetent people there. The last case we had involving this kind of an issue, the, the reason they didn't bring in the lab technician to testify was that he had been fired in the interim for some reason which we didn't know, but it was pretty clear why, why he would not have been a very good witness. We don't know how, how good this lab was. Uh, we don't know how good the, the individuals who did the test were, and that's why uh, it, it, it's up to the state to bring forward uh, the testimony saying what the lab did. And the only testimony they brought forward was the testimony of this witness who was not there. The testimony of Ms. Lombardo satisfies the Confrontation Clause because she is the, the witness uh, against the accused in this case. And the fact that she testifies that she relies on material that was generated by Selmark does not make Selmark the witness against the accused. But she said that, that I would agree with you, but she said more than that. She said, I relied on material provided by Selmark, which is, and then she described what that material was. And she had no personal knowledge of that. She had no personal knowledge of that, and that, that came through uh, during this cross-examination. Ms. Lombados was subjected to a very, quite lengthy and a quite uh, a, a specific cross-examination. Well, there are two types of evidence that's, that, are, uh, that um, are involved here. One is chain of custody evidence. Uh, was the result that, that was sent back the result that was done on the sample that was sent to Selmark? Well, that's just purely chain of custody. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the, the accuracy uh, or the professionalism of what was done at Selmark. And she did make a statement. Uh, she did say that the sample, that, that the result that came back from Selmark was, it was, done, was based on a test of the vaginal swab that was sent there. The other, it has to do with what Selmark did, how well they did it. She didn't say anything about that. Now, as to the chain of custody, uh, if that's testimonial, isn't, isn't it uh, simply duplicative of the very strong uh, circumstantial evidence regarding the chain of custody, the, the sending of it out with certain markings and the receipt back with certain markings? Right. The, the chain of custody uh, was, uh, it was, strong, was strong in this case. The evidence that was presented through the shipping manifest, through the other witnesses that testified in this case. Um, the, uh, the fact that uh, Ms. Lombados testified um, that she did not know exactly what they did at Selmar, again, as an expert, she was able to talk about what material she relied on, the Selmar materials. The chain of custody are just supporting actors. The key actor in the play, the Hamlet in the play, is the person who did the test at Selmark, and she or he is not here. And if you want to say, oh, this is not, tell the jury. Now, we're not saying that this is admitted for the truth. We're not saying that this is uh, William's DNA. The judge would say, well, then it's irrelevant. It's excluded. But the man- and, and it seems to me, in, in, uh, just in response to Justice Scalia, that uh, not, not, not only does uh, he indicate that this is hard to distinguish from Bill Coming, in Bill Coming, at least you had an expert say how the laboratory works. Here you don't even have that. Well, you have less here. 
Ms. With reference to Selmark than you did in Bulconi. Ms. Lombardos did testify both on, on direct examination and cross-examination that Selmark was an accredited lab. The Illinois State Police Crime Lab routinely uses uh, outsourced. But in Bulconi, we said that was not sufficient, and in that case, the person was from that lab. But, but Ms. Lombardos, we never introduced any Selmark reports in this case. There were no testimonial statements con- conveyed through her testimony. There were no out-of-court statements used to prove the truth of the matter asserted. What was presented was the expert opinion of Ms. Lombardos, who was a duly qualified expert in, 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 in forensic biology and DNA. And not only did she have the ability to look at the, the Selmark material. She interpreted the material that, that came from Selmark. And what came from Selmark, the electropharogram, what I, I would submit to you is not testimonial. It's a machine-generated uh, chart that, to the naked eye, to, to a trier of fact, means absolutely nothing unless an expert actually interprets that. And Ms. Lombardo's testified to how she interpreted that. Um, she talks about the I don't know how that's any different from Bullcombing and Melendez-Diaz. Um, I, well, the Melendez-Diaz, what we had in Melendez-Diaz was, in fact, a certificate, an affidavit. It was, it was, it was created. In you had something more than you have here, and therefore it goes out and this comes in? That doesn't make sense. No, I think in Melendez-Diaz, uh, it's clear because that was, that, uh, report was drafted, created for the primary purpose of being used as substitute of live testimony. I submit to you that the Selmark reports were not, um, and the electropharogram, again, which would need uh, expert interpretation, uh, the allele chart, again, I would submit is not testimonial, that those reports were not created in lieu of live testimony. Um, and Ms. Lombados uh, looked at that. She interpreted it. In fact, she even said that there was something on the electropharogram that she didn't agree with Selmark on. It was the, a certain one peak that was higher that she felt was just, in her expert opinion, background noise. So uh, if, if the report had been introduced, the Selmark report, it would be testimonial. Is that, is that right? Well, I, I believe if, if the State had tried to introduce that Selmark report, yes, right. it would have been offered for the truth of the matter asserted. And we and it would be it would be a, it would implicate the uh, the confrontation clause. Well, but how that's does not it become, what happened here? How does it become non-testimonial when it's relayed by the recipient of the report? I mean, if the, if the you're not introducing it to the truth, then it's not relevant. Right. I think it, the, the key is the use. How were these uh, statements used? How were these reports used? And in this particular case, they were not used to prove the truth of the matter asserted. They were used for the limited purpose of explaining the expert's opinion and for the expert to testify to what she relied on uh, in getting to her opinion. How, how do we know that, Ms. Alvarez? Is there a statement from the finder of fact, who's the trial judge here, that um, uh, He's understanding her testimony to be not for the truth of the matter asserted. What's the best evidence that that's what the court was thinking? There is. And in the joint appendix on page 172, the language um, from the trier of fact, he says just that, that he's uh, uh, considering these for the limited purpose. Um, in fact, the Illinois Appellate Court also affirmed state, stating that this evidence came in for a limited purpose. It's the as limited well as the purpose of, ex- of, ex- of, of, of explaining the basis for her opinion. But her opinion is that, that this is matched to Lombados. I'm, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I, her opinion is that this is a match to Lombados. But if, 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 if the match material isn't admitted for the truth of the matter asserted or isn't con- considered for the matter asserted, then that testimony is irrelevant and meaningless. Well, not irrelevant, but I believe it goes to the weight of her testimony, and that is for the trier of fact to determine. And here it was a bench trial was the judge. Um, but if, in fact, um, the State uh, presents the evidence in the way that we presented it here, uh, we're always taking the chance that it would weaken um, uh, the, the case, and it has to be considered for the weight to be given um, to Ms. Lombardo's suppose, suppose the State had not presented evidence of the shipments, so that you didn't even have that. Would, at that point, should the judge have just thrown out the case? Um, no, Your Honor, I would say no. I, I believe um, there was the testimony of the victim in this case who identifies this defendant uh, uh, as the perpetrator in, in, in this rape. In addition, the judge made a finding when he, in his ruling. The trier of facts said that he believed her 100 percent and he found her extremely credible. But I guess what I'm trying to suggest is that if there's no evidence in the case that the, that the, that the match is to the victim, where's your case? 
Well, then we probably would have uh, problems with the Illinois evidentiary rules and 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 uh, in the law in Illinois. Um, we obviously presented in this case a sufficient chain, a sufficient foundation uh, to show where when that uh, we 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 presented the testimony not only of the victim but the doctor um, who was present when the swab was taken, uh, of the officers who brought the sealed swab to the Illinois State Police Crime Lab, how that sealed swab was first looked at for. T- preliminary test by Mr. Haypack in, in uh, ISP in order to, before they sent it to Selmark, and then Selmark extracts a DNA profile of a woman, uh, a female, and a man. Selmark never makes the match here. Selmark never says, this is Mr. Williams' uh, DNA. That is done by Ms. Lombados through her expert and her expertise. She no, but, makes but, the match. But Selmark says this is the, the male DNA that was found in the sample that was sent. Selmark made that decision, right? So through and her testimony was based upon the fact, was based upon comparing that male DNA with, uh, with her, her own uh, blood sample. Uh, it's meaningless unless that male DNA was indeed the defendant's. And she can testify to what she relied on again, and it goes to her weight if the trier fact chooses not to believe it. Um, the the but the evidence here was you clear. know I, I would believe that if if the prosecution put the question to uh, to her this way, uh, assume that uh, you got a report which said that this was uh, the defendant's DNA. And if you were to ma- match that with uh, this, uh, the work you've done on the blood sample, would you find that, that uh, you know, that, that, that uh, the sample was taken from the defendant? And she would say yes. And the jury would say, so what? I mean, you, you've, just, you've just made a hypothesis if you had been told. That, that would be worth nothing. It, it, Her testimony was... I received information that this was indeed the DNA taken from the male DNA taken from the uh, from the swab that was sent. Uh, without that, the testimony was was worthless. It's just you know uh, a hypothesis. She she responds to a hypothesis. That was not the way this was played out in the trial, was it? The, again, our position is that her testimony was consistent with the Confrontation Clause. The Confrontation Clause is concerned about what statements are admitted, what evidence is admitted. Um, no cell mark reports were admitted here. Um, she did not parrot the testimony, I, I mean the, the report of cell mark. Um, she testified to what she did how she arrived at her own uh, independent opinion on this, uh, which, again, uh, we did not offer any out-of-court statements to prove the truth of the matter. So we offered Ms. Lombados, who was subjected to a lengthy cross-examination, and that satisfies the Confrontation Clause. Um, and, and the uh, inability to test the reliability of what happened at Selmark does not trigger the Confrontation Clause. I thought you earlier recognized that her, her opinion could not be independent of the test results, it depended entirely on the test result. So I, now you, you inserted independent again, and I thought you had, you had given up on that. Well, I think, you know, what we saw in Bullcoming was not an independent uh, opinion of an expert. Uh, with, he offered no independent analysis. He simply read off a report that was prepared um, by another lab, and that, in Bullcoming, that was offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. We did not offer Selmark reports here to prove the truth of the matter asserted. We offered the expert opinion of Ms. Lombados, uh, and her Credibility was attacked uh, uh, through a very vigorous cross-examination here, and that satisfies the Confrontation Clause. Uh, the testimonial statements, uh, again, um, are, are, are statements that are, are, are made uh, in lieu of live testimony. And the key is the live testimony here, which we presented live testimony. Um, the reports from Selmark, uh, and, and, and our, our conclusion is that they are not. Uh, testimonial uh, in nature. And what petitioner is asking you here uh, to do here today is to expand Crawford, to expand the Confrontation Clause, to expand the definition of hearsay uh, and the definition of testimonial. And, and our position simply is uh, to ask you to maintain the rule of Crawford. 
which is quite clear uh, that a, a witness becomes uh, a, a, a out-of-court declarant becomes a witness against an accused within the concept of the confrontation clause uh, when their extrajudicial statements are offered uh, to prove the truth of the matter asserted. Uh, does, so the does, witness Illinois here, ha- does Illinois have a notice and demand? No, that does not. No. Um, and so our, our position, Your Honors, is to maintain um, the rule of Crawford. Uh, there is no such thing as inferential hearsay, as the petitioner wants you to believe. Um, a statement is a statement. Hearsay is hearsay. Uh, there is no such thing as inferential hearsay. Um, what was presented here in this case was consistent uh, with the Confrontation Clause. It was satisfied. Um, and, for, uh, and for that, uh, we respect uh, your opinion here today. But we ask that you maintain the ruling of Crawford. Uh, she was asked, just, just to be clear, what she was testifying to. Did you compare the semen that had been identified by Brian Haypack from the vaginal swabs of Latonia Jackson to the male DNA profile that had been identified by Karen Cole from the blood of Sandy Williams? Yes, I did. She is accepting and, and affirming the statement that what we, she was comparing was the semen that had been identified from the vaginal swabs. She, she is accepting and she is relying on the material that was generated by Selmark. But again, the state did not uh, admit into evidence or, 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 or try to admit into evidence the Selmark report or any statements from Selmark. Thank uh, you, Counsel. Mr. Dreeben. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Sandra Lombados' testimony really has to be analyzed as having two components to it. The first component is the match, the match between the data reflecting the allele charts from Selmark and the data that was produced in analyzing petitioner's blood. Uh, As to that component of her testimony, she's a live witness. She's subject to cross-examination. I don't think that anyone asserts there's a confrontation clause issue. But as several members of the Court have pointed out, that testimony is entirely irrelevant and non-probative unless it can be linked to the semen that was taken from the victim and that was subsequently analyzed to generate a DNA profile. As to that issue, Illinois state law provides that her testimony cannot prove, for the truth of the matter asserted, what Selmark did. She cannot repeat on the witness stand when she gives the basis for her testimony things that Selmark said and have them be taken for the truth. But, Mr. Dribben, she did repeat what Selmark said. I asked um, your — the State's attorney whether if she had read the the data report from — the laboratory analysis, would that have been a violation of the Confrontation Clause? Not clear. She says, only if you admitted it. But in fact, that's what she did. If you read her testimony, I give you an example at page 79, she tells on cross-examination exactly what the steps were in the Selmart report, what numbers they gave, and she tells and explains. She take, uh, the State's Attorney took pride in this, she said, I disagree with that number that they came up with. I think the number should be. So she's really reading the report. Well, first of all, Justice Sotomayor, that did come in on cross-examination, and I don't think that Petitioner is contending that's evidence that he himself elicits on cross-examination. All right. So then let's not, the all right. So let's, so let's get to Can I focus on Could the State have done this? Can, can I focus on your question, I think, because she clearly did link the DNA uh, that she compared to the blood DNA to the semen that was sent to Selmark. And I think that several members of the Court have raised the question, is she implicitly thereby repeating what Selmark said and then making Selmark the out-of-court witness? My answer to that is twofold. First of all, as a matter of Illinois state law, she could not do that. She is not permitted to give the basis for her opinion in that respect and have it taken for the truth. If if that's so, why isn't there insufficient evidence in this case? And this brings me to my second uh, reason for saying that this is not a Confrontation Clause problem. It's in essence what the Chief Justice described and what Justice Alito referred to as the circumstantial 
way in which the fact finder can infer that Cellmark tested the DNA in the semen that was sent to it. There's a shipping manifest that shows that the semen goes out to the lab. There's a shipping manifest that shows that it comes back. And Cellmark none tenders of, None of which has anything to do with the accuracy of the test. Correct. And that is, I think, the crucial point here. The State may have a very weak case if it doesn't produce a witness from the lab who can attest to the fact that the lab did what it was supposed to do and conducted a properly uh, authorized DNA examination. It has to get by with the very skimpy circumstantial showing of we sent no, the material it do- out. No, it doesn't, though. It could, have, could it have a witness saying um, Cellmark is the nation's foremost DNA testing laboratory? They hire only people who have Ph.D.s in DNA testing. I mean, is that all right? The state can make its case a lot stronger. And it did that here by saying that Cellmark is an accredited laboratory and Sandra Lombatos participated in designing proficiency examination. But she had to admit on cross-examination that she had no idea what Cellmark actually did in this case. She could draw inferences. And the inferences that she drew are what enable her to say, my opinion is there is a match between the DNA in the semen and the DNA in the blood. As you understand our precedents, would this have been a stronger or a weaker case if a representative, an employee of Cellmark had come and said, although I didn't do this sample, I want to tell you uh, how our procedures work and why we're a respectable lab, et cetera, et cetera? It would have been relatively stronger had a witness been able to actually come from Cellmark and validate that Cellmark is an accredited laboratory and conducts procedures in a certain way. But the crucial point Mr. here Jerry, is even if no expert from either lab came in, if a expert had the Cellmark information and the Illinois State Police information not offered for the truth of the matter, and came in and said, I match this and I match that, and it's the defendant. Could that have been done? Only if, as a matter of state law, there was a sufficient foundation for the fact finder to conclude that the DNA actually came from the blood and the DNA came from the semen. Mr. Dreeben, that seems to me extra. I mean, we have a confrontation clause which requires that the witnesses against the defendant appear and testify personally. And the crucial evidence here is the testing of the uh, um, semen found on the swab. That's the crux of this evidence. And you're telling me that this confrontation clause allows you to simply say, well, we're not going to bring in the person who did the test. Uh, we're simply going to say this is a reliable lab. I don't know how that complies with the Confrontation Clause. The Confrontation Clause, Justice Scalia, does not obligate the State to present a strong case. It does not prevent the State from presenting a relatively weaker case so long as it does not rely on testimonial statements to prove the truth of the matter asserted. This Court held in Bruton versus United States that there is a very narrow exception to the almost invariable presumption that juries will follow the instructions that they're given. If they are told not to take evidence for the truth of the matter asserted, they are presumed to follow that instruction. Here, Illinois state law supplies that filter. Everything that the judge heard He filtered through Illinois state law that says the basis for the expert's opinion doesn't prove its truth. So the state gave up the right to say, you can believe that this DNA report is reliable and trustworthy because Selmark says so. The state doesn't get that benefit. And as a result of not getting that benefit, it is not obligated to treat Selmark as if it's a witness. I suppose the problem is, Mr. Dreeben, that if the the state put up Ms. Lombatos, and Ms. Lombatos had to say, I did a match. I I was given two reports. There was a match. But I have no idea where this other report came from. You know, it might have been from the victim, but it might not have been. I I don't have a clue. The State would never have put that prosecution on because the State would have understood that uh, there was no case there. 
the State is relying on the fact that people will take what Ms. Lombardo <coughs> says about what she knows w- about where the report came from as a fact, as the truth of the matter, that in fact this report did come from the victim. And so the, the, the jury can, can be given instructions saying uh, you can't consider this except for the truth of the matter asserted. But it, it's, it's a bit of a cheat, No. No, I think, Justice Kagan, when you consider the things that this Court has held, juries can properly apply limiting instructions to. They can hear the fact that evidence was seized from the defendant. Marijuana was found at his house. The defendant gets up on the stand and says, no, it wasn't. The State can introduce that marijuana to impeach his testimony, and the jury is instructed, you may not use that as proof that he possessed marijuana, only to impeach his testimony. The same is true with unwarned statements in violation of Miranda. What was the instruction here? There's no instruction here, Justice Scalia, because this is a bench trial. And in a bench trial, the judge is presumed to follow the law. And as my colleague read to the Court — So we simply have a presumption, even though — even though the Court's statement seems to indicate that he does take it for the truth of the matter. Well, the Illinois — And you're saying, well, he couldn't have because that would be against the law. The Illinois Supreme Court found, as a matter of state law, that he did comply with state evidentiary rules, and he did not take the Selmark report for the truth of the matter asserted. And there is, in this case, an alternative route of proof, which is circumstantial, and I take the Chief Justice's amendment of my description of the facts to include that Selmark is an accredited laboratory. That does add to the probative value, but it's a much weaker chain of support to conclude that the DNA male profile came from the semen than if they had produced Selmark. But not having produced Selmark, they do not need to afford confrontation on Selmark. Thank you, Counsel. Uh, Mr. Carroll, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, first, well, the State cited page seven or 172 in the Joint Appendix um, as a reference to the trial judge stating that he was not considering Selmark's statement for its truth, that's not a uh, cite to the transcripts of the trial. That's a, a cite to the Illinois Supreme Court's opinion. And nowhere in the actual trial transcripts did the judge ever state, I'm not considering this evidence for its truth. In fact, this, in the statement of facts on this page JJJ1, uh, 51 of the record, he states that well, it's, the ex- it's the testimony of the experts that makes this link. So Mark's an accredited lab. And it's inconceivable that in the face of the evidence of Selmark's work that the prosecution presented through Lombato's testimony and during defense counsel's objections to that testimony that the judge would never say at any point, hey, I'm not considering this for its truth. Are you saying that we owe no deference to the Illinois Supreme Court's judgment on this evidentiary issue? And if so, no deference, tell me what proposition of law supports that. Are you saying deference is due, but we shouldn't give it? Which of the two positions are you taking? I think uh, deference is due, but you shouldn't take it, given the record in this case. Um, why is deference due? I mean, it's either the fact or it's not the fact. If a state Supreme Court opinion says something that contradicts the, uh, you know, the record, we, we owe it deference? I, I don't know any such rule. Well, if we owe it deference to its interpretation of Illinois law, I suppose. I guess I, if this Court would like not to give the Illinois Supreme Court deference, I'd be more I think we should give it deference where deference is due and not give it deference where deference is not due. And on, on statement of facts that either are erroneous or not, I, I, don't, I don't know why deference is applicable. Um, you do think our law is established, though, that a jury will follow an instruction in this situation to uh, not to take the uh, testimony for truth of the evidence? For, for truth of the matter. Not in this situation, Your Honor. Do we have any, any case saying that the instruction is inadequate in a case like this? Um, not in this particular fact pattern, but this case is different than a Bruton-type situation where there are 
there is a proper way to consider the evidence and an improper, and there's a fear that the jury is going or the trier of fact is going to consider the improper. Here, Illinois law did allow the trier of fact. Are you aware that in Illinois they have an instruction, assuming it's a jury case, this is a bench case, but if it were a jury case, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you are not to presume or assume that the DNA tested by Selmark uh, came from this sample. Yes, Your Honor, that there is such a instruction in Illinois law. However, and then they routinely give that to juries. I, I believe they do, Your Honor. However, in this case, um, or Illinois law does not prohibit the trier fact from considering Selmark's statements. The trier fact is allowed and is expected to consider it in in assisting the trier fact in evaluating Lombardo's opinion. And in this situation, where Lombardo's the only way that the Selmark statements support Lombardo's opinion is if they're true, there is no meaningful difference between considering the statements in assessing Lombardo's opinion and considering them for the truth. So this is Sorry, I, I, I'm going back to Justice Kennedy's question. There is an Illinois requirement that the trial judges give the instruction he described? I believe there is a, uh, a recommended jury instruction for um, uh, that the basis evidence is not uh, to be considered for its truth, Your Honor. Under Rule 703 of the Illinois Rules of Evidence, uh, are the facts that an, an, ev- that an expert takes into account in uh, reaching his or her opinion uh, introduced for the truth of the matter asserted? Not under the language of the rule, Your Honor, no. Thank you, counsel. Case is submitted.